I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I've always found solace in the loneliness of the Alaskan waters, the endless expanse of ocean, the harsh cry of the gulls, the bitter bite of the wind. They were more than just parts of my job as a fisherman. They were pieces of my soul. That's why when my boat, the Sea Whisperer, crashed against an unseen rock during a particularly vicious snowstorm, I felt more than just fear. I felt a profound betrayal. The snow was falling in heavy, suffocating blankets, turning the world into a blinding whirl of white. Panic clutched at my throat as I struggled to free myself from the wreckage. My boat was more than just a vessel. It was my livelihood, my home. Now it lay in ruins, swallowed by the merciless Alaskan sea. I managed to drag myself onto a flow, gasping for breath, my body numb from the icy grip of the ocean. I knew I had to find shelter and fast. Hypothermia was a silent stalker in these parts. Stumbling through the blizzard, I searched for any sign of refuge. That's when I first heard it, a deep, 
guttural sound that seemed to resonate with the howling wind. I froze every instinct screaming that I wasn't alone. Through the curtain of snow, I caught glimpses of a massive shadowy figure. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. Towering covered in thick matted fur with eyes that glowed with a primal intelligence. At first I thought I was hallucinating, that the cold had finally seized my mind. But as the creature stepped closer, its enormous form became unmistakably clear. It was like the Bigfoot from the stories, but this one was real, breathing and standing mere feet from me. A part of me wanted to run, but my legs were leaden, frozen, not just by the cold, but by an overwhelming sense of awe. The creature cocked its head, studying me with a curiosity that was almost human. Then with a grunt it turned and began to walk away. Inexplicably I followed it. Maybe it was desperation, the instinct to cling to any form of life in this frozen wasteland. Or maybe it was the silent call of something ancient and unknown, a siren song luring me deeper into the wild. The creature led me through the blizzard, its massive form cutting through the snow effortlessly. After what felt like hours, we arrived at the mouth of a cave. He entered and I followed him. Once in the I lost him. It's just like he disappeared into thin air. Very weird, but I swear it was real. My stepdad lived in Virginia when he was around the age of eight, right on the edge of the great dismal swamp. According to him, he was in bed one night when the sky was cloudless or just very bright. He never thought until recently whether the moon was shining or not and saw a beast looking right through his window at him. He said he could see spittle running down its face and its eyes were looking straight at him. It was supposedly standing on its hind legs and had cream, red, and brown-colored matted fur and a face almost like a wolf. Other than its snout, its facial features were very human. Its jawbones were high, the structure around its eyes and its eyes themselves were human. Esquire, the coloring of its eyes, he believes, were yellow. The reason why I think this is interesting and possibly valid is because the Great Dismal Swamp covers a huge amount of territory and is hardly touched by human. Only in recent years have people started to study its inhabitants. The grounds are wet, mossy, and absorb sound, and people have been known to wander into it and never return. Who knows what could be lurking in the unknown? chills my bones. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that he crawled out of his bed and went straight to his mother's room. In the morning, when they looked around the house, all the windows had ground that was stirred up under them, and grass that was yanked out. There were actual scratches in the wood under his window, and paint was missing too. However, as far as they could see, there were no discernible footprints. I was hunting during doe season in the woods. I parked my truck on a sad road in Washington County, but it was right on the border, near Greene County. Anyway, I was in a tree stand, looking for deer and heard a lot of rustling leaves near me. I then saw this wolf-like thing running on its hind legs. It stopped for a moment, sniffed the air, and then ran off. 
I sat in that tree stand for hours till the sun was high in the sky. Then I cautiously returned my truck. I gave up hunting after this experience. I've been debating on sharing this story with anyone outside of my small circle of people that were there, but I want to share my experience in hopes that it saves someone's life or to give understanding of what someone else has experienced. Late fall 2010, in northern Canada, I went deep into the wilderness with my father and my eldest brother to hunt for moose. We left in the early morning, just before sunrise, trying to cover as much distance as possible before nightfall. We traveled winding rivers and had to repeatedly portage over rapids all day. We decided to set up camp just over halfway to our destination. My father figured that we'd make the rest of the journey tomorrow. Well, when everyone bedded down for the night, I decided to go grab some firewood and relieve myself down by the bank of the river, just out of reach of the light from the campfire. Out from the tree line, about 15 yards away, I could hear rustling in the bushes. I watched the area where I heard the noise and focused on that spot. I felt kind of funny, dizzy or lightheaded, and I could smell this putrid stink like old milk or rotten food. Then I saw the trees start to morph and move ever so slightly and began to take the shape of a head and slight facial features. My eyes began to adjust it to the darkness and along the tree line. I could hear this voice coming from there. I recognized it. The voice sounded like one of my relatives who had recently passed. The face took shape of my relative. Hello, they said. I've missed you. Come see me. I smiled and stepped forward a bit, but stopped to analyze the situation. My relative's face stopped smiling and became emotionless. The skin began to turn pale and peel away. Chunks of flesh from their cheeks began to fall away, and I felt shock and fear overwhelm my body. I couldn't make sense of it at all, so I started to back away and make my way to camp. I didn't realize at the time that I had been walking towards the voice, and I was further away from the firelight. The voice became angry and began shouting at me to come here, so I turned to run away. But as I looked back one more time, I saw the most disgusting thing I had ever seen. It was rotting flesh on gnawed bone, caved-in eyes, and a hollow chest cavity. This humanoid creature was tall and super thin. I ran as fast as I could, trying to yell for help, but the fear had made my voice quiet and raspy. I ran along the riverbank, and I could hear the heavy breaths and the stomping feet from this thing right behind me. I made it onto the top of the riverbank, but it grabbed a hold of my leg as I jumped up. I gripped and tore the grass, trying to lift myself, and yelled as loud as I could. Then finally my voice came back, and I yelled that someone has my leg. My brother woke up and ran over to where I was. Then he pulled me up and took me over to the fire. I was terrified, trying to explain what I saw and that it looked like my relative but not. I was trying to convince them that I wasn't seeing things, but my brother nodded his head and said I saw it too. I know. That solidified it. He acknowledged that it was real. We stayed up all night after that. Rifles loaded and close by. We packed up when the sun was coming up and went back home. We haven't shared that story with anyone out of fear of being labeled as crazy or liars. 
I've had nightmares and couldn't sleep for months afterwards. I would see things or dark figures looking into my window or hear whispers when I was walking home at night. Eventually, I was seeing this dark figure daily. I went to medicine men or shaman for help, but I've learned that the ceremonies only relieves it temporarily. Friends have given me everything from protection pouches to certain crystals. I found out that there's a strong possibility that I encountered a wendigo. I learned that if you encounter one and survive, it attaches itself to you like a parasite. I learned that it could only do this if it touches you, which it did. Ever since that night, I've been on edge when I enter any forest or wooded area, which sucks, because I love being outdoors or hunting and in nature. Now, I always feel like I need to keep my back against something when I'm out in the wild. Anyways, make your own conclusions about this. I've paid a price for being an ignorant child to the stories of old. They are real. I can attest to that. Stay safe, everyone. This happened when I was seven years old. I'm sharing it because my older brother reminded me of it. And now that I'm 24, I can't get it out of my head. This was very traumatic for me because after this event, a bunch of other things started to happen. This is how it started. Growing up and even now, I live in a haunted state and I lived five miles away from the most notoriously haunted forest. My mom used to tell my brothers and me about what she would hear while walking by the forest, the murders that happened, and how she used to see puke wedges. My older brother, uh, 11 at the time, let's call him Dan, and I, 7 female, were watching TV in the living room. It was dark outside. It must have been a new moon. If you were sitting on the couch and looked to your right, you would see the glass sliding door which had a view of the backyard. Mind you, it was an acre lawn with tall trees lining the perimeter. I was tired and decided to get my ritual glass of milk before bed when I stood up and saw what was glaring at me through the glass door. It was tall, taller than the door itself. It was skinny in the torso, but its chest was broad. It was white with tall ears. I want to say it looked like the white version of Donnie Darko. I was about 15 feet from the glass door. I froze. It didn't move. It just kept looking at me. It could not have been anyone else because we lived in the middle of the woods. I started calling for my brother's name, but Dan wasn't answering me. I started to get louder, now calling for my mom. Her room was on the other side of the couch, so she was there in a heartbeat. She looked at the back door, then at Dan, and then told me to just sit back down. I couldn't understand why I was the only one freaking out. I lay on the couch, facing away from the glass door. Dan put a blanket on me, and we both fell asleep on the couch. Well, in 2020, one Dan called me from jail. He's been in and out since I was 13. This is how the conversation went, Dan. Hey, can I ask you something? Meeting. What's up, Dan? Do you remember that night? Me. What night, Dan? That night where you were freaking out. We were young. Remember that tall, scary-looking thing that was at the back door? Me? I had a flashback of that night. Dan. Look, I had a dream about it last night, and I wanted to tell you that I saw it too. I was too scared to do anything. 
Mom saw it also. The conversation ended because he only had so much time on the phone. I felt relief knowing I wasn't just having a schizophrenic hallucination episode, but my body went numb from the memory of being so scared. I told my significant other about it. He's my best friend. My significant other told me that I came face to face with a Wendigo, and he wasn't surprised because of the small country town I lived in. When I looked up what a Wendigo was, my heart sank. That's what I saw. Now, I think about it every day. It's been a year since I was reminded of it. I believe it still follows me. September 1993. One night, several of my Marine Corps infantry platoons were doing some training exercises just outside of our base camp. As we all sat around the fire pit right after dinner, one of my men looked out into the darkness and claiming to see a shadow moving in the trees only 50 feet away from us. He watched it for a while before safely turning back and asking me if I had noticed anything strange. Myself, I had not. The next day, we came back and searched that area looking for anything but found nothing unusual at all. However, on the third day, we went back, and one of our members was walking along when he realized there was something behind him. He turned around quickly, only to find nobody was there. At this point, everybody had begun wondering what it could be. It couldn't be seen at all, but they could feel its presence. One night later on, after the previous events had taken place, I was walking around with one of my other Marines, discussing how strange this thing was, when all of a sudden, we realized that whatever it was that was following us earlier had now begun to walk parallel with me. I dropped one knee quickly and let loose two quick shots into the darkness, hoping to scare off whatever it was for good. But whatever it was didn't move or flinch. It just kept walking like nothing happened. At this point, none of us were too scared, though, so any feelings of fright were now pushed back down below conscious thoughts. As we walked back towards the main camp compound, we never could figure out what it was. But I still think about it once in a while. I hope one day we can solve the mystery surrounding this black apparition that walked with us on our training exercises ever so silently. I know what a bear looks like, especially when they stand on their hind legs. This thing was far from anything considered normal. Well, in order to comprehend what I've been through, I'm going to have to go back to when I was 17 years old. Four years ago, in the middle of spring, I was on my break from school doing nothing productive like any teenager, but to my excitement I was invited to venture to the Sierra Nevada mountains alongside my grandfather and Uncle Tom. And so I agreed, and the very next day we took to the mountains. An hour into the trip, and I'm not the least bit bored because I was gazing through the lens of my camera, taking hundreds of photos of the tree-covered mountains. We arrived in the Wishing Reservoir, about 78 miles away from Fresno. We stopped by the dam for a quick bathroom break. As I went to use the restroom, I noticed there were some attached portrait photos of random individuals displayed upon a large pinboard before the bathroom door. About ten or more photos were pinned there, and they all looked new. 
I never really liked looking at those faces, faces of people who had a life before being stolen by some sick people. Before we left, I remember the last few words my mother spoke of. She said something like, you stick close to Grandpa and Uncle Tom no matter what. You boys better keep an eye on my baby boy. That was always the case with my mother whenever I'd go out to the wilderness. She had always been uneasy about the forests. Bad hiking trip, Manuel, Grandpa tells me when I asked that day, not caring to put much detail in that story. The most I heard from that story was that a hog got a good bite off my mother's leg when she was just eight years old. But I always speculated if there was something bigger behind that tale. At the time, there was nothing to be afraid of. Besides, we were packing some serious heat. We carried four of revolvers, two 12-gauge shotguns, and a well-preserved W2W2 Russian rifle, the Mosin Nagant, a weapon I've always dreamt of using. Around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, we're driving on this mountain, and Grandpa makes a left turn into this ancient dirt road. Eventually, we arrive at this partially open field with a few trees and rocks poking out. We parked close to the only exit, unpacked all of our gear, and set them out. From there, I analyzed the vastness of the field. The field space took up about 30 yards long and less than 50 feet. Wide, meeting a north, downward slope guarded with skin, piercing bushes. But around the end looks to be a hidden foot, path leading into the forest. Beyond this ground is nothing more but pine trees surrounding every inch of this field. It gave off this ancient look. In fact, that entire land is a private area owned by the state itself. This land was not to be touched at all. Otherwise, we would suffer from heavy fines. As soon as Grandpa told me this, I got a little worried, but Grandpa was there to remind me that everything was going to be all right. He always had a way of calming me down. He was good at that. For the rest of the afternoon, we spent it eating before embarking on a hike through the slope. The slope was not difficult to pass through, for there are plenty of spaces left for us to walk. The hike turned out incredible. I got to take many pictures out of the forest. But while we were returning to our camp, I was following behind due to my attention being on the beauty of the wild. I found some footprints that closely resemble a human's foot, but bigger. The footprints were too big to be a human's foot, yet it resembled to a human's too well. The next imprint spaced between seven feet apart. Now I was about to take the picture, but I got the feeling that something was watching me, and it's closed. From what I saw, there was nothing around my perimeter, yet its presence was strong. I didn't want to stick around any longer, so I caught up with the guys. Soon the sun began to lower itself down the peak of the mountains. Darkness began to creep its way before the moon. We had to start a fire for light. The rest of our time was spent bonding over telling funny stories of my family and learning the basics of holding a gun. They gave me this tiny revolver while they got to use the rest. Small, yes, but it does offer a strong grip. By the time the moon arrived, the forest was already consumed by the night. The male crickets stridulate their wings for their female counterparts, and the entire black sky was blanketed with stars. It was truly a beautiful night and the right way to relieve stress. It was now 9 p.m., and we were all chilling out in the cool air. 
Uncle Tom was out smoking a joint in the blackness of the trees, while Grandpa and I sat separated around the campfire gazing up in the stars. Some time passed and Grandpa asked me a question that I will forever change my life. Manuel, what do you know about Bigfoot? From there on, Grandpa tells me the true story of my mother's horrific incidents she received as a child. Somewhere down south in these similar woods, my then mid-aged grandfather took his wife at the time and my toddler mother out for a hike. Everything was going swell until the next day of their arrival. The family went out for a nice hike and something attempted to abduct my mother when there was no supervision around, but to my relief, Grandpa reacted fast. I hear your mother's scream coming from the trees. I tell Maria to stay put while I run into the woods. I ended up coming to a clear enough opening where I got a chance to see who took my daughter, about forty yards away from me. I see this thing dragging little Rosie across the forest. It looked like some kind of ape with reddish-brown hair all over its body, but it looked huge. Looked to be about eight feet or higher, and it was fast. Real fast. With the little time I had left, I drew my special revolver the most powerful handgun in the world. I take aim and I fire. You wasted him? I asked with great intentions. No, it lived, but I hit it all right. I hit that thing three times and the thing let out this horrible shriek of pain. It was so loud, so vigorous, I swear I fell on my ass when I heard that scream. The thing ran off looking injured. I never saw it again. What happened to Mom? Was she okay? Nah. Her right was bent out of place. She couldn't walk no more. Apparently, that thing pulled Rosie's leg so hard it snapped the leg out of place. Thank God she was strong enough to bear the pain. Just not enough afterwards. What do you mean? Your mother became mute for three years straight, and she became very nervous whenever she was alone. Hell, she even gets nervous around places with lots of trees. Damn. Yeah, it took her three years to finally utter some words. We were so happy that we got to hear her voice again. How exactly did she get taken? I, uh, I don't know. I tried asking how it happened, and she says she saw a red light flying around the trees, and when it got close to her, the thing popped out and grabbed her. Lights that turn into Sasquatch. That's a little hard to take in. Well, you don't have to take my word for it. I don't know how else to explain it for you. So you could go ahead and ask your mother what happened. You think she'll tell me everything? I don't know, Manuel. That was a very traumatic thing she went through. All right. It's not that I don't believe you, I believe you. It's just hard to process this. Same can be said for anybody who's seen what I've seen. Everyone is safe and they're tightly knit. Together life until they run into them. And just by one glance at these things, all your comprehensions in life are shattered. Not completely, but your views in politics and religion are challenged, and maybe that's a good thing. You gotta keep an open mind to stuff like this. Does Uncle Tom know any of this? No, I haven't told him. Besides, he's always skeptical about this kind of subject. He firmly believes that Bigfoot is just a hoax, so nothing will change his mind about it, unless there's physical proof. Damn! A moment of silence had occurred between us until Grandpa got up and headed for the tent. I'm gonna head to bed. You coming? Asked Grandpa, 
After that, we put out the fire and all the lanterns and went to sleep in our tents, to be unbothered for now. Around 10, 9 p.m., we all slept in our tents that night, with enough room to store in three people, but Uncle Tom preferred to sleep on his own. His tent was set a few feet from us, but was still close enough to hear. I could not sleep that night because I was contemplating Grandpa's Bigfoot philosophy, all those broken branches and footprints that could definitely be a Sasquatch. And then it suddenly hit me that I should have told the guys what I saw. I thought, I will tell them what I saw tomorrow. Besides, the imprints looked a few days old. But that was even more discomforting considering there is something unknown to most people is lurking about. Eventually, I slept on my air-blown bed for a few hours before I would reawake again at 2, 20 a.m. I did not know why I woke up. I didn't feel like taking a piss or anything, but then I listened. It was quiet, too quiet. The bugs have stopped chirping, the trees held still for a questionable amount of time, and not a breath of air was emitted anywhere. I had every right to be concerned now. Hey, Manuel, you awake? whispered Grandpa. From his foldable bed, he slowly switches sides to face me. From the expression on his wrinkled brown face, he looked just as alert as I was. Yeah, I replied. Can you hear anything? No. We stayed there tuning in on the environment for about a minute. Grandpa then asked, You remember that gun I gave you? Yeah, it's in my bag. Get your hands on it, but don't shoot yet. Without hesitation, I reached in my bag for whipped out the little weapon, hands slightly shaking. Grandpa does the same, but pulls out a large shell revolver that completely dwarfed my pistol. By comparison, then we heard Uncle Tom's tent open and his footsteps nearing our position. Guys, it's me. Open up, he whispered. And so I unzipped the tent and he checked his surroundings before he spoke. Did any of you guys hear that breathing? Yeah, I did. That thing was going on for like five minutes, exclaimed Grandpa. Immediately I felt dread when I heard that phrase. Wait, I just woke up. There was breathing. Oh, man, who would want to mess with us? I begged my Grandpa. I don't know, but don't freak out. It might be mountain folks or some large animal. Now, Tommy, did you see anything out there? There's nothing. It's completely mute out there. But I did find some track. From right, he was about to finish. A small object hit his back as if someone threw it at him. Uncle Tom cursed when he picked it up. Dude, are you okay? I asked, no. Someone threw this rock at me, shouted Uncle Tom, who was met with anger, confusion, and a little hint of fear. Grandpa orders me to pull out every electric lantern we had and set them everywhere. With what little light the moon provided us, our lantern's brightness made half of our campground seeable, but we still didn't have a clue of who threw that rock. We checked every corner while we can until, all of a sudden, we heard another thud coming from our north. A rock that could oversize a human hand, visually, was lying just a few inches away from the slope. When all of our lights met the slope, I was completely dread the second I realized what it could really be. The three of us slowly advanced to the slope's entry, anticipating for the better or the worse. We approached the slope and spotted nothing with our beams of light. Nothing but dirt, pine needles, and bushes. Grandpa, with his finger itching on the trigger of his gun, decided to call out the trespassers. 
Who's that stumbling in the dark? No responses, just the ever-deafening of the forest. This was it, I thought. We have this thing surrounded. Surely it would run away by now. Just as I was shining around the dark, I spotted something unusual on the ground. On the dirt, there was a pile of rocks, and next to them is the ground compressed by unknown weight. But when I focused on that spot a little more, I thought I saw a mottled outline of what appeared to be legs crouching down, all there but transparent. Suddenly, the invisible figure got up and ran away from us. It shook us all so bad we shot at point-blank range. It was gone now, but not for long. Grandpa demanded us to get to the car, and we started hauling ass. But just before we got inside, all the lanterns started blinking on their own. This just encouraged us more to move. We got inside and Grandpa took off to the exit, regardless of all the gear we left behind. Luckily, the rest of our rifles were located in the back. Uncle Tom asks for a rifle, so without deciding, I chose the Mosin Nagant, laid it, and passed it to him. Just as I was scanning my environment for that damn creature, the car pulled up to a stop all of a sudden, just before this path met the gray road to civilization. Dad, what the hell happened? Desperately asked Uncle Tom. I don't know. It just died, cried Grandpa as I saw him desperately trying to turn the car on. Before us in the front of our vehicle came this blinding orb of reddish-white light with a synthesized sound wave coming from the very orb. The orb began to transform into a large, oval-shaped disk, forcing us to cover our eyes from the brightness. Finally, the light darkened, but a hulking figure walked its way through the disk and the portal closed instantly, just as he landed. I couldn't believe it. It was a Sasquatch standing before us. The creature stood up, right to about eight feet tall and engulfed in dense dark brown hair, save for the hands, face, and chest. He was in great physical condition. And yes, I know it was a male. You can tell by seeing his chest. Not only was it jacked, it carried three aged bullet wounds and old scars too big for a bear to make. He had no neck, and his skull structure was large and sort of narrow, and his face carried a mix of ape and human features with a beard outlined across his face. His eyes, though, presented vibrant red piercing through the dark. Too stunned to move, Grandpa gathered every bit of breath and yelled, Run! We did so and dashed back to the campground with nowhere else to go and the Sasquatch repeating his deep yelps and hoots. But as we ran, I heard the screams of my grandfather along with a series of strong snaps and cracks of metal. I cared, but not for the moment. I catch up with Uncle Tom catching his breath. I didn't know what to do or where to go, but Uncle Tom utters his last few words. Manual, hide. Get yourself out of here. I'm going to distract him he demanded, but his eyes carried much sadness and fear. No, not without you. Just go. I did what I was told, even if it was the hardest thing to do. I hid myself down the same slope, but hid myself deep in the trees, opposite the direction of the trail, and from there I waited, listening to Uncle Tom's last seconds. I hear his stumps approaching the campground, and it was met with a loud bang coming from the rifle Uncle Tom used. 
I couldn't hear anything else after the bang, but slightly muffled screams were the last things I heard before I felt a strong and short vibration underneath me. I waited there forever, not for my ears to recover, but afraid if it was still out there. I would feel some more vibrations coming from the beast, but he never seemed to get close to me. Eventually, there was no more walking I had forced myself to see. I peek my head over the slope and find nothing but the lifeless body of my uncle and the rifle lying next to him. When I examined him closer, I found him lying flat on the ground, limbs apart. My uncle's chest was caved in with bones from his rib cage poking out from the sides, blood drooling out of his mouth and chest, and his left eye popped out of his socket, hanging alongside his face like a thread. Tears prevailed over my will not to cry. I only cried for a brief moment before getting back up. I took the rifle with me back down the only exit, where the jeep lay ahead and animate with the front door open and blood smear and splattered all across the interiors. I found Grandpa's entire body shoved underneath the missing steer wheel with his bald head and arms sticking out, combined with his frightful expressions of pain written all over his face and small puddle of blood in the front seat. I refused to cry once more and ran on the road to civilization. Descending down from that mountain seemed like an eternal nightmare for me. I was clueless as to what to do and where to go. All I knew was the path we came from, but it didn't take long for the beast to find me again. He began taunting me with his alarming yelps and hoots. There was nothing to see but shadows and trees I had no idea where to shoot. So I fired in point-blank range in all my surroundings. My ears go duff momentarily, but I still shoot, cursing at the creature to just take me on now. Get it over with already. Soon the violence ended when I noticed a speck of light coming from down the road. I didn't know if I should trust this light, knowing what it might be, but thankfully it was just a car. I could even hear the engine. Relieved but still under stress, I ran towards the cars to meet the patrollers and have them take me away. After that night, I was sent to the hospital, and I was met by two nameless men in business suits. They ordered me not to tell anyone the truth of what transpired that night, only to identify the creature as a bear. Naturally, I got pissed and argued with them, but they won with intimidation. Four years have passed, and my road to recovery still goes on. I am no longer dependent on drugs or afraid of my shadows, but I still shiver in slight fright whenever I see a great herd of trees. To this day, I haven't opened up about the night with anyone but my mother until now. Eventually, the abductions began to slow down shortly after a year, but reported sightings of an evasive humanoid remain strong in Sierra Nevada. I don't know when I'll get back up in those mountains, but when I do, that thing better be ready for me. Because when I come by and I find him, I will not hold back. My father grew up in the Pleasanton or Christine areas of Texas, which is about 20-30 miles south of San Antonio, in the Texas brush country. The Texas brush country is a huge part of South Texas. It's not necessarily desert, but kind of a medium between... 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. The oak tree or cedar tree forests of the Texas Hill Country and the almost desert landscape of northern Mexico. Miles of wide open ranch land with loads of thorn and mesquite trees with some oak trees sprinkled in for good measure. Growing up, we'd go down and visit family members in that region, and when the sun would go down, I always felt creeped out by the area. There are some creeks that make you swear you were in Louisiana swamps with large trees hanging over the creek beds, covered in Spanish moss and giving the areas a very creepy vibe, especially at night. It's well known that there are now lots of wild child pequin plants along lots of the rivers and creeks in this area because when Santa Ana's army were making their way to San Antonio before the Battle of the Alamo, the soldiers had with them chile pequin peppers to make salsa and add spiciness to their foods when they would make camp, and naturally, lots of the soldiers would drop excrement along the creeks and the seeds of the peppers would find their way into the soil and begin sprouting the pepper plants. Anyway, one of my father's uncles claims he saw a large winged humanoid bird with glowing eyes swoop down on he and one of his buddies while out at the lake known as Choke Canyon, fishing for catfish late into the night from the bank without a boat. The story goes that it was around 11 p.m. or so on a Friday night, and let's call my father's Uncle Robert and his buddy Chester. The two men had decided to go fishing for catfish and drink some beers and enjoy the start of the weekend with a nice relaxing nighttime fishing trip to the lake, which was about 30 miles from the town they lived. So Robert, having worked in construction and having worked that entire day, 
was feeling sleepy and decided to nap in the truck while Chester stayed on the lake bank, listening to the radio and watching their fishing rods that were casted out in the water. Uncle Robert climbs into the driver's seat of his truck and falls asleep. An hour or so go by and he's rudely awoken by Chester who is screaming and pounding his fist on the passenger window of the truck, yelling like a madman for Robert to unlock the door to let him into the truck cabin. Jarred and caught completely off guard, Robert unlocks the door and asks Chester, who is out of breath and panicking, what the hell is going on? Chester, clearly panicked and freaking out, says to start the truck up and for them to get the hell out of there. He said that he was chilling in his folding chair and had just caught a small catfish and had thrown it back into the water and had sat back down in his folding chair when he heard what sounded like a large bird flapping its wings behind him. He stood up and turned around and there was a bird-like humanoid, kind of like a large crane-like bird with a human face and a beak-like mouth with glowing red eyes and a massive wingspan, something like 12, 15-foot wingspan. So he turns around to seize this thing flapping just behind and above him and appeared to be readying to land right where Chester was sitting. These two were born and bred South Texas country boys, like my father, and had grown up in the brush country hunting birds, bobcats, alligators at that same lake, fishing and being common rural kids. So they had a lifetime of experiences with wildlife in that region and had never seen anything like it. Robert starts up the truck, and in the rearview mirror, illuminated in the red glow of the brake lights, Robert sees the large bird creature land behind the truck and begin walking. Around the truck, over to the passenger side, it was shaped like a man-sized crane, with thin, long legs that looked like it would stand at eye level with an average height man, and it was the creepiest thing he'd ever seen. That's when Robert knew that Chester wasn't screwing around and he throws the truck into gear and peels out of there. They end up getting back Robert's place and Chester and he both decide to spend the night together, shotguns in hand until morning, which is when they decide what to do next. They ended up going back the following day, armed to the tooth to retrieve their fishing poles, folding chairs, and other fishing gear, and found the footprints of the whatever it was that they saw still fresh and in the sand around their fishing spot. This happened in the 70s, so it was before smartphones with cameras. When my father told me this story, I pictured something like a tall shoe bill, but there's nothing like that in that part of the state. Maybe it just wanted to eat the fish that Chester had just caught. Following the incident, they would end up eventually going back to fish in the evenings, but they would be sure to take firearms for protection. I'm 20, 7 now, but when I was 17, just weeks from 18, I lived in a small town in Missouri called Pierce City. I had saved up a good four years worth of paychecks and sold my TV to buy a used Suzuki 6. At 650, it was my dream bike. I went and bought it and my father helped me get it to our home because I wasn't legally able to ride it for another few weeks. I remember when we got home, I put it in our barn and locked the barn because we didn't have a garage. I don't remember why I did it, though. It's a very small town, and we knew pretty much everyone and are hours away from the nearest neighbor. 
I fell asleep about 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. and woke up at 3 a.m. because I heard a large bang near the barn. I thought it was one of the horses that might have gotten spooked or something, so I went out to check. I always carry a buck 110 folding blade, and when I got to the barn, it was still locked. There are no windows besides one way at the top, but it's a good 15 feet high, and there wasn't a ladder. I unlocked the barn and walked in, and my new, used bike was on the floor. I heard a crunching or chewing noise, so instinctively I grabbed my knife. There was very little light, just enough to reflect the polished metal. I peeked into the pen, and I kid you not, there was something squatted over the horse that it had to have killed, as it was a healthy animal, and we took good care of it. I've seen wolves eat animals before, and it wasn't like that it looked like the thing off Lord of the Rings. The cave-dweller thing, but taller, and I know it was only a couple seconds, but it felt like minutes of me being frozen there. Whatever it was looked at me, I turned and sprinted back to the house screaming. I swear it chased me. It ran on all fours and screeched like worn brakes on a heavy vehicle. I must have awoken my dad as he met me at the door with his gun loaded, fired two shots in its direction and then shoved me inside and shut the door. It seemed scared of the shots and we later dialed the police, though they found nothing. If you guys live near there and have heard anything of it, please tell me. It still haunts me and I live nowhere near there now. This one happened to my great-grandparents on my father's mother's side. They lived on their small cattle and livestock ranch in Christine, Texas, for the later decades of their lives. Christine is a super small town where everyone knows everyone, and there's no need to lock your doors when you leave or when you go to bed. My great-grandparents were the warmest people you'd ever meet, always smiling, sharing humorous stories with friends and family. They'd take your coats or jackets when you'd enter their warm home, and before hanging them up on their coat rack, they'd sneak a $20 bill into your pocket for you to find later. They were the kind of older couple who were always poking harmless jokes at each other in front of company to entertain you. Super charming and loving and always smiling and loving the life they'd built for themselves. Visiting them was always a treat because I grew up in the city, and when we would visit on a weekend, my great-grandfather would take my younger brother and I around the ranch to see the animals and livestock, pet the horses, feed the goats, and throw rocks into the stock pond. When we'd return to their house from seeing the ranch, my great-grandmother would have our favorite, breakfast for dinner on the table, fresh hash browns, farm-raised bacon, and ham. Homemade tortillas, mild and spicy salsas, and fried eggs. And coffee, always with coffee, even if it was dinner time, and we loved it. So this story takes place during the 1960s, not exactly sure on the year, but my great-grandparents were in their late 50s, and their children, my grandmother, were all grown and had gotten married and moved out, so at this point it was just the two of them living on the ranch. They were on their way home from visiting some family in the south side of San Antonio, about 70 miles away. They had lost track of time, so it was late into the evening when they left. So they're driving back home to their ranch near Christine, 
Tech's, and on their route they have to drive over this wooden bridge that extends over a deep creek. I think sometime in the 1980s, a better road was paved into the town that no longer made it necessary to have to take this small dirt road and bridge from the Highway 16 to their small ranch. Several years ago, the wooden bridge was torn down and a new bridge was built using steel and concrete. Spanish moss hangs from the trees, which really makes it creepy, and from what I remember, this bridge is about 80 feet long from end to end. Due to the creek, it expands over being relatively wide. Underneath the bridge is a good 30 to 40 foot drop down to the creek bed. For the most part, the creek is dry year-round and only sees water flow during rainstorms. As my great-grandparents are driving over this wooden bridge, their truck suddenly dies and comes to a stop near the middle of the bridge. My great-grandfather starts swearing up a storm because he's tired, it's late, and they're still about ten miles from home. He maintains his truck better than most, and they had a full tank of gas. Even the headlights and cabin lights shut off, so they were stuck there with only the moon bathing them and their surroundings in soft moonlight. My great-grandfather was born in the brush country of South Texas, so there's not much he hasn't seen out there, and in this situation, while most people might be a little intimidated to leave the safety of their vehicle, my great-grandfather was in his element, out at night, in what is essentially his backyard. Thinking it has to be a battery connection that came loose, my great-grandfather asks great-grandmother to hang tight, pops the hood and opens his door, stepping out into the cool night to check under the hood and hope to diagnose the issue. As he's struggling to see, fumbling with the battery connections under the hood, behind him he hears the sound of clip-clops on the wooden bridge. It sounded like steps of a hoofed animal approaching him from behind. He turns around and lets his eyes adjust to the dim moonlight to see what's making the noise. Maybe it's a deer or a cow or a goat that's gotten loose from one of the other ranches in the area. Squinting, he's looking down the bridge and sees what appears to be a thin man, about five and a half feet tall, but with a set of very large ram horns on his head, walking upright, approaching him from the opposite end of the, the bridge. It's hoofed feet clip-clopping on the wooden bridge as it's steadily trotting towards him. A cold chill ran up my great-grandfather's spine, and he quickly shut the truck hood and hops back into the driver's seat, slamming shut the door behind him and locking it. My great-grandmother, confused by his sudden reactions, asks what's going on, and my great-grandfather points at the humanoid that is slowly approaching their vehicle. She sees it and reacts with what the hell is that? A goat watching it approach them in their vehicle. They can see that the horns on its head are very large, much larger than any ram or goat they've ever seen, but still cannot make out whether it has a ram or goat's head or a human's head. It's about 20 feet from the front of their truck when it hunches over and begins walking on all four of its cloven feet. They can only vaguely make out its features as it reaches their vehicle and begins circling them my great-grandparents twisting and turning in their seats to watch it as it bobbing its head up and down, pacing around their truck. It doesn't ever touch their truck. It only slowly saunters around their vehicle with the only sound in the night being its hooves clipping and clopping on the wooden bridge. 
Though it was dark and difficult to make out its exact features, they both agreed that it had the body of a skinny, bony man, but with the head of a goat. They both said that the creepiest part of the encounter was watching its large horns bobble around the front and rear of their truck, unsure if it was going to do anything to them and how it felt like an evil or demonic entity, that they could sense it not being a normal animal, but a creature with evil intent. They hold their breath and don't know what to do, and my great-grandmother, being very Catholic, begins praying quietly under her breath. On its fifth or sixth time walking around their truck, it stands back up on its hind legs and meanders towards the opposite end of the bridge from which it came, eventually disappearing into the black night and leaving them in the truck, frightened and shaken. A moment later, like clockwork, power is restored to their vehicle, and my great-grandfather starts the truck up and peels out of there, making a beeline for their home, where they rush into the house and grab firearms and spend the rest of the night locking all of the doors and windows and got no sleep that night. When we were younger, my cousins and I would go and visit what we believe is the same bridge. I'm not sure if this was the actual bridge where this apparently took place, but it was very similar, and we would park our truck, get out, and thrill ourselves by walking around out there after dark with flashlights and embrace the creepy ambience, armed with shotguns and rifles, of course. My great-grandparents never saw anything like that creature again, but from that night onward, my great-grandfather always kept a loaded shotgun and a pistol in his truck. I live in Hauptstuhl, Rhineland, Falls, Germany. This occurred on June 4, 2017. I suffered a headache at around 11 p.m., so I decided to go to bed. I entered my bedroom and my head began to feel heavy and my eyes began to hurt with intense pain. I got into bed and almost instantly I fell asleep. What seemed like seconds later I heard the TV and the PlayStation 4 turn on downstairs. Upon hearing this, I thought maybe my wife was home from work. I realized that couldn't be possible because she didn't get off until later that day, fully aware of what was going on, but obviously still tired. I tried to get out of bed, but found myself unable to move at the slightest. Sleep paralysis had been common for me throughout life, so at first I wasn't too worried, but this was different. I began to panic and try to force myself out of this paralysis, but every time I used energy I heard a voice inside of my head tell me to stop moving and sleep. I knew the voice wasn't my own because at the same time I was talking to myself in my head, almost yelling, saying, wake up now. This battle with the other voice which almost seemed to control me went on for about 15 minutes until I finally had enough. I said a quick prayer and promptly rolled over onto my back, trying to catch my breath when suddenly I saw it. Please be aware that the incident happened in a matter of seconds, so I am trying to describe it as best as possible. Directly in front of me on my windowsill was a small figure. If I had to estimate, it was maybe three feet tall. I did not see any eyes because the room was pitch black, but the silhouette of the figure was clearly visible because of the light that showed through the blinds. I believe it had its back towards me. One hand was raised and there was a bright blue, almost white light that was casting through the window onto it. 
A quick flash was emitted and the being was gone. Almost instantly that the being had left that my headache, eye pain, and fatigue also left. This experience has truly changed my life. I have had other incidents in my life that now that I look back on after doing more research, I believe, were other visitations and or abductions. I appreciate you taking the time to read this, and if anyone could offer me help or insight, I'd be very grateful. I've only told my mom and my now-deceased best friend from childhood about this small, puzzling, but very impactful event in my life. I say impactful just in the sense that I now think about this almost every day of my life since it happened. I'm 35 now. I was probably around nine years old when this happened. This happened in New England. I was in my room at night and I was having trouble sleeping. I felt different. I had this weird energy that night that was keeping me up. Suddenly there was what appeared to be a woman, clear as day, with a beautiful reddish or pinkish dress on, red hair, standing in my dark room. I was startled at first. Because of the fright, she was smiling at me in the kindest, most loving way. I was still pretty blown away by this. At this point, I was just sort of mesmerized and shocked, laying in my bed still looking at her, and she's looking at me, still Jay smiling. She's kind of glowing, but not in the same light we are used to anyways. She was just very, very visible in my dark room. I could see her clear as day. After laying in bed looking at her for a while longer, I got up, put my knees tucked in under my shirt, and sat on my bedroom floor like that and looked at each other some more. This went on for a while. She was in my room like this for probably at least 20 minutes, probably closer 40 minutes. After a while, I stopped being afraid and relaxed a bit and just vibed out with her for a while. I was still pretty shocked as this didn't seem to be stopping anytime soon and also... What? So after sitting on my floor vibing up with my new friend, I turned my back, went around the corner in the hall for a moment to see if she would disappear or something, but she didn't. She was still there, at least for now. Then I went to the bathroom and went pee. When I came back in my room, she was gone. I just laid back down in my bed, went to sleep after that thought about waking my parents, but she was gone at this point. I hoped she would come back the next night. She did not. I told my mom a couple of days later what happened. My mom was religious at the time and told me it was an angel after I told her what happened. I hesitate to define it. I don't know what to call what happened that night. I know this story sounds super cliche, like straight out of an episode of Touched by an Angel, remember, that show. Uh, anyways, hope you believe me, but... Really, I just hope someone else has had a similar experience that I can relate to about it. So, who do you think she was? What happened? I'd like to know your opinions on this strange night, or if something like this has happened to anyone else, as there are not many places to voice this story. I would like to know about any of your similar experiences, too. A strange and chilling incident unfolded one Saturday night in Riverside, California. 
an event that would haunt my dreams for years to come. It all began when Charlie Wetzel, a 24-year-old resident of nearby Bloomington, experienced something so inexplicable that it defied rational explanation. The night was dark, the kind of darkness that envelops everything and makes the world seem a little more eerie. Charlie was driving on a quiet street near Riverside, minding his own business when the unimaginable occurred. He recounted the story to authorities with a sober and earnest tone, as if the memory still sent shivers down his spine. A monster jumped out at me, he began, his voice quivering with fear. I listened intently, my curiosity piqued. Charlie went on to describe the creature he had encountered, a being that defied all logic and reason. It had a round, scarecrowish head. He explained, his words painting a vivid and unsettling picture in my mind, like something out of Halloween. My heart raced as he continued to recount his terrifying ordeal. It wasn't human, he stressed, his eyes wide with fear. It had a longer arm than anything I'd ever seen. When it saw me in the car, it reached all the way back to the windshield and began clawing at me. I couldn't help but imagine the sheer horror that must have gripped him at that moment. My mind struggled to make sense of the nightmarish creature he described. It didn't have any ears, he added, his voice quivering. The face was all round. The eyes were shining like something fluorescent, and it had a protuberant mouth. It was scaly, like leaves. As he spoke, I could sense his terror, his disbelief that he had encountered something so utterly unnatural. The details of his encounter were etched into my mind, and I found myself hanging on every word. Charlie's fear escalated when the creature reached over the hood of his car and began clawing at the windshield. He knew he had to act fast, or whatever this nightmarish entity was might gain access to the vehicle. I held that pistol and stomped on the gas, he said, his voice trembling. The thing fell back from the car, and it gurgled. The image of that monstrous being clawing at his windshield and making inhuman sounds was enough to send shivers down anyone's spine. The sheer audacity of it all left me in disbelief. Sheriff's officers arrived on the scene, and Charlie pointed out thin, sweeping marks on his windshield that he claimed were made by the creature. They ventured to the location of this bizarre encounter, but found nothing to either prove or disprove Charlie's harrowing tale. The scene itself was eerie, situated where North Main Street dipped and crossed the almost dry Santa Ana riverbed. It was as if this otherworldly event had occurred in a place where reality blurred with the unknown. Charlie recounted how he had initially hesitated to share his story, fearing that no one would believe him. But his wife had persuaded him to contact the authorities, convinced that something unnatural had occurred that fateful night. Sheriff Sergeant E.R. Holmes, in an attempt to offer a rational explanation, suggested that a large vulture might have landed on the hood of Charlie's car. Sometimes cars hit them when they're in the road eating rabbits cars have killed, he explained. He conducted his own search of the area on Sunday, but he too came up empty-handed. I didn't even find a feather, he concluded. Charlie's story remained etched in my memory, a chilling reminder that the world was full of mysteries and unexplained phenomena. What had he encountered that night on the dark streets of Riverside 
The answers eluded us, leaving only questions and a lingering sense of dread. I was wondering if anyone else has also had any experiences with people that didn't quite seem to be people, like there was something off about them. I had an experience some time ago that I have never could shake off. So this happened in Charleston, see, around Xmas of 2017. I used to work at a popular coffee shop that was inside of a popular big box retail store. One day around Xmas time, I had two guests that struck me as odd immediately. They were pale Caucasian women, probably mid-twenties that both looked nearly identical, but one was about a head taller. They had the exact same haircut, very straight, platinum, blonde, bowl-like cuts. Their faces were quite round, and their eyes were a noticeably bright hazel color and appeared quite large, but not in like a disproportionate gray alien kind of way. They both also had a fairly odd stiff gait, as though they had a board strapped to their back. They sort of shuffled their feet around when they walked. They both also had on oversized sweaters, and I noticed later the shorter one had theirs on backwards. The weird part was their behavior. When they first walked in the shorter one looked around the store as if they've never been in one. Her overall demeanor was somewhat childlike. Like a good customer service rep, I welcomed them and told them to ask if they had any questions. The short girl looked to the taller as if for approval. She then slowly nodded her head towards me, mouth slightly agape, and then attempted a hand wave. Instead of waving at the wrist like most people, she waves with her forearm, palm flat and straight in a sort of robotic windshield wiper-like motion. She then turns to the taller one, who gives her an encouraging nod. They then proceeded to walk around the cafe, looking at the cups and merchandise. The short girl would often point all around the store and seem to be asking the taller one questions, almost as if this was a guided tour of sorts. Now, obviously, I'm no linguist, but my city is a fairly popular tourist destination, and I've met foreigners from all over the globe. Even if I don't recognize a specific language, I can usually estimate dot where it may be from, whether it's Germanic, Slavic, Asiatic, Mid-Eastern, etc., in origin. But the language they spoke to each other was very strange and not like one I've ever heard. Imagine if you mixed Simlish with baby babble and sped it up. Lots of gah, blue and andu sound. They continued on checking out the merchandise and going on what seemed to be a kill in a session. They would often open up cups and look inside, grab bags of beans and squeeze and shake them. At one point, the shorter one took apart a French press and the taller one seemed to try to explain what it was for. This went on for about another ten minutes or so when the short one picked out a studded cup to purchase. She shuffles her way to the pose, puts the cup on the counter, frequently looking towards her friend as if looking for reassurance, who again does a simple nod in encouragement. She then looks towards me and attempts to smile, which was just baring her perfectly straight white top teeth as though she were biting her bottom lip and slowly nodding, not saying a word. It was here I noticed her sweater was on backwards, the tag sticking out in front of her neck. 
Now that I had a good look, I will say she was quite oddly attractive, but there was something that about her appearance that gave me uncanny valley vibes. But I couldn't tell you what exactly was off. I will say I don't recall them ever blinking. I scanned the cup and went on the typical checkout spiel to which there was no reply. When it was time to pay, she pulled out a silver credit card that had no markings whatsoever. No logos, no numbers, no name. Just blank plastic with a chip. She then looks back over to the taller one and says something, who then comes over and finishes the transaction for her, showing her as though it was a teaching moment. I hand her the cup, and she once again slowly nods her head, mouth ajar, and does her windshield wiper wave. They then shuffle their way out the cafe into the rest of the store, and I never saw them again. I've told this story to people before, and they usually hand-wave it and say they were probably just tourists from Europe, or maybe they had a condition of sorts. But like I've said, I've encountered many foreigners, and none of them acted this much like a fish out of water, nor was their overall demeanor and behavior this uncanny. I won't rule it out as a possibility, of course, but it just doesn't quite sit satisfactory for me. It was just too weird. I don't know what do you guys think. Have any of you experienced anything similar? Hey, all? I want to preface this saying I've always been more of a skeptic when it comes to paranormal. I considered myself one that leans more towards a grounded science view and one that wants to believe, but would need to experience it myself to actually believe. I'm also aware that sharing this in this sub is going to yield some amount of confirmation bias, since most here, I would assume, are going to lean towards believing, but maybe not. A bit of background. My dad's side of the family lives in a home that eventually became the place of death for my nana. She went into hospice when her health deteriorated enough and eventually passed peacefully in her home on the first floor living room in a hospice bed that was set up for her. Nothing weird ever happened after this to my knowledge. Fast forward to a few years back, my dad has inherited the home and has moved back from across the country with a cat and has since adopted a second cat. Over a few years, I was able to work towards mending things with him born of a complicated past. Just this summer, his health took a rapid turn, and he became essentially bedridden and a fall risk, so we set up a bed for him downstairs in the same area that our Nana was in. Unfortunately, he passed just a few days ago, and I'm now grieving. He passed away, not in the home, but in the hospital. It's also important to say he was home literally the day before, and in one day we went to the, uh... And he passed away the following early a.m., I've been going over daily to start sorting through important paperwork and taking care of his cats. It was tough going into the house the first time, and I always give a hey, Dad. Greeting coming in, knowing I won't get a reply, but it's part of being open and vulnerable in my healing, and did it prior to his death. And no, this story doesn't lead to hearing a greeting back. The first night there, just the night prior to writing this and the encounter, was uneventful, but uh, I bawled my eyes out at the foot of his bed in pretty much every room in the house. Before I left, I laid in his bed downstairs and the cats jumped up to join me for snuggles. 
So this evening at 8 p.m., I went over and conducted some of my goals I had. When the goals were done, I did what I did the previous evening and laid down in his bed. His two loving kitties joined me, and I was sending texts to my mom. This is when it happens. I'm laying there, and suddenly this full-body chill hits. I'm in a tank top and athletic shorts, but I run hot, and I've always been very warm in the house. Plus, I'd been moving around a lot just prior to laying down. No reason to have chills. Anyways, I get the chills, literally covered in chill bumps, head to toe, hair standing at attention every inch of my body. Hell, even my nipples were hard. Right at this moment, which happened within seconds, both of the cats reacted lightning fast and raised their heads and were looking like something startled them. Chills are one thing, but the reaction of two furry friends at the same exact time, this is what really sold it for me. All three of us laid there. I wasn't exactly scared, and I don't scare easy these days, but it had me shocked and rattled, unable to process what the hell is happening. So it's difficult to articulate the exact emotion I was experiencing. I started to communicate as if it was my dad telling him how much I love him and miss him. Then I realized maybe this is my nana. Then I pretty much just said whoever this is. The whole time I felt this full-body feeling of something being there, and the cats were also still more or less focused on whatever thing had their collective attention. One cat eventually got up to walk to the water bowl area, and the other cat, I, I think, just relaxed, but I still had chills everywhere. After this, I got up feeling a bit uncomfortable with the realization that my world and possibly entire system of non-belief was shattered. I had chill bumps the entire time I brought items to my truck outside, getting ready to leave, and forgot something inside. I was half expecting to see something when I went back in and was on edge and moving a bit quicker. Said my goodbyes and departed, unable to explain or rationalize this. I shared this with my wife as soon as I got home, and my four-month-old was staring wide-eyed, looking captivated the whole time. It was cute. I also will be sharing this with my mom and sister tomorrow and had simply texted them, saying something happened. I can't explain and need to share. Any input, thoughts, questions, or comments are very welcome. Thanks for reading all of this. I'm not skeptical anymore and think it was either my nana or, wishfully, my dad's spirit coming back to his home. And as a reminder, nana passed away in the home. But dad passed away in the hospital. He spent a lot of time in this very bed, though.